Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about energy and sustainability from Alpha Energy Group, an Edison energy company. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer for Alpha, and I'm joined for my catch-up on the commodity markets by our risk management expert, Henry Homer. Uh, Henry, what's the outlook in Europe looking like at the moment? What can we have ahead of us we should be expecting? Good morning, Jerry. And again, just drawing your attention to some of our previous episodes. Well, um, the outlook for Europe still remains mixed uh, in the extent that you have a fairly decent price plunge over the past couple of months, coupled with the fact that you have seen structural weaknesses, or should I say continued structural weaknesses in Europe, providing a lot of upside potential in these markets. Now, if I had to sum this up in one sentence, I will probably still say that Europe is not fully out of the woods just yet. Right, and that's that's important. I mean, you know, those who've listened to these podcasts before will will remember you and and other colleagues as well uh, warning that you know the risks haven't gone away in the commodity markets. We might be in a much better place than we were a year ago, but the causes of potential volatility and price spikes they're still there, or the risks are still there. And speaking of which, we've just had a pretty substantial price spike in, in gas in Europe, which of course has affected the power markets too. What's been behind that, would you say? Um, it's mainly down to the persistent structural issues we face in Europe as well. So uh, since basically Q4 uh, of last year, we've entered a period of sustained decline. So just say, throw back to some of the listeners on this episode, if you were to check back price history in Europe, and I'm just going to use European natural gas here as a benchmark, but feel free to check other commodities as well. You'll notice a similar trend. You will start to see that we've seen pricing from roughly the uh, triple digits, the low 100s, and then transitioning to Q1, that sort of plummet down, both on the calendar year 24 contract and also the front month contracts as well, down to sort of the, the, the mid-60s and mid-50s. Now, since then, the markets have entered sort of a a uh, semblance of complacency, if I may, whereby you start to see a lot of issues surrounding Russia uh, being taken off the board, a lot of the persistent structural dangers in Europe not being spoken too much. Rather, the focus is on the mild weather patterns, which we've been supremely lucky to have, and also the healthy storages we have in place. Storages are now so well sort of structured that we probably will only need half the injection speed of last year to get to 80-90% this year. Now, from that perspective, I'm fully on board. I agree that having storages around the mid-70s right now is superb in the grander scheme of things. But I think we still need to focus on some of the structural dangers, and that is Europe is still tremendously import-dependent. Any changes to that particular aspect will drive up pricing. And number two, even with 100% storage, gas storage in Europe, it will not get us through a harsh winter. Again, the largest gas storage country in Europe, Germany, if there is zero flows coming in, it's expected to last between four to six weeks. Again, I need to stress this. This is on the assumption that zero flows come in. And that, again, it's unlikely. But just to stress, the gas storage size and capacity is not up to par for a harsh winter. And that's where structural issues come in. And just to give an example, 
the famous one just this week which is uh, quite quite a good timing to have this this session today we've seen pricing on the front month basically almost doubling from the low 20s up to almost 50 euros uh, per bag hour the calendar year one as well also increasing significantly and that's only down to two things the extended maintenance in Norway uh, at the facility and also increased orders from East Asia. It's, it, if I say it out loud, it doesn't seem that bad. But just to showcase that even situations that, such as that have the potential to have multi-percentage price spikes in the market. Now imagine if something bad would happen. J just imagine something similar happening over Q4, over the winter months. What would that bode for Europe? And that's what I need to stress uh, on this episode is that Europe structurally is still import dependent. Risks are still there. Complacency is here, but it can change very quickly. And again, we're not talking two or three percentage volatility margins here. We're talking 10, 20, and as I just mentioned, almost doubling on the front month contracts as well. Indeed. And as you say, that you know, the proximate factors behind the recent surge, uh, Norwegian outages, which were after all planned, even if they've been a little prolonged, it's normal for this time of year. Um, as indeed it's normal to be carrying out maintenance on gas-fired turbines as well on the power side. And orders for LNG to Asia, uh, again, it just uh, it illustrates the uh, sensitivity of European markets to demand elsewhere. Other factors we ought to bear in mind, you know, the French nuclear fleet, uh, have there been any improvements on that availability or the availability of hydro in some parts of Europe, or indeed um, the output from the European wind fleet? That's a good throwback, actually, Jeremy. So thanks for bringing that up on this episode. Indeed, um, in the grander scheme of the structural side, correct. We're still seeing a, let's say, a relatively new status quo in, in Europe, whereby you do have the continued persistence of a lack of nuclear output in France, still hovering around the 60% mark. Hydro, particularly in, in Liberia and the Mediterranean, not functioning as it should. We're seeing long-term sort of um, warmish weathers creating stress on hydro stocks as well. Uh, and this is starting to impact uh, the Northern European uh, hubs as well, particularly Norway, which is a massive uh, power exporter now, um, together with American LNG. Basically, the Norwegians and the Americans are what's keeping European uh, markets afloat. Again, that's not an exaggeration uh, as well, really. Uh, we're still relatively... Uh, stymied when it comes to alternative sources uh, compared to many, many other regions in the globe. Uh, so yes, those issues are still persistent. They're still there. And it adds to the structural dangers I mentioned earlier on as well. And zooming in towards the renewable side as well. So traditionally Q2, Q3, uh, it's very, very good uh, for solar output. And if you move down south uh, towards the Mediterranean, Basically, it's almost all year round. So solar output is actually keeping uh, a strong sort of production for many, many countries. I'd like to give a special mention to the Netherlands, which has made tremendous improvements to its solar. Uh, actually, so much so, sometimes uh, this year they actually produce more solar than Spain. Now, again, this is the Netherlands we're talking about here. You know, a country sort of um, famous for rains day on day. But again, solar has been tremendous. Now, a side effect of this warm weather actually reverts back to lack of wind. And that's actually what we're experiencing more here in the UK and the Northern European countries as well with the warmer weather, dry weather. It doesn't really bode too well for wind. But right now, due to the comforts we have in the storages 
and the, let's say relatively attractive gas pricing we have so far this has sort of been more of a supportive measure i would say sort of keeping a support as well for lack of wind but we also have to mention that renewables are intermittent and again when push comes to shove we may see this actually reverting back to the structural issues as well but for the time being they are supportive to european pricing indeed and i think that's an important point about renewables um, we often hear this from European and UK politicians, you know, well, you need to get away from volatile fossil fuels. They say, well, you know, they have a point and, and there are reasons for doing that environmentally. Of course, we know as we, you know, move towards net zero and a decarbonized energy system, which I think we all sort of understand and sympathize with. But there's a small problem about doing so, you know, making that transition sustainable in itself. And Europe has become very import dependent on gas in particular when it could have been producing more of its own. We've just seen the, the last production from the Groningen field in the Netherlands, which is, I think, the largest close to onshore field in, in Europe. And uh, hence, import dependency is perhaps more of a problem than it would have been had Europe looked to produce more of its own gas rather than just importing it. And whilst it's wonderful that solar and wind can produce huge amounts of power and indeed hydro too, when the circumstances allow they are very much dependent on on weather conditions and you know that the volatility certainly with wind and solar is built into the system uh, and it strikes me that uh, you know the one the one thing that we're not going to move away from is volatile power pricing in the future and i wonder whether you'd agree with that absolutely absolutely you, ma you made some good good sort of points there jeremy and uh, i just like to throw a couple of things in as well to to back that up correct there are policy issues that, that ensure Europe continues to be import dependent. Again, depending on where you stand on the, on the political spectrum, could be good, could be bad. But I take a non-biased view to this. And for me, Europe is uh, currently sort of having a bad, bad situation, meaning that, correct, the supreme investments made in, in renewables, even though, yes, has allowed us to de-risk from Russia, correct, but the intermittency doesn't allow us the energy security that we need. Now, if you contrast that with other regions internationally, such as East Asia and America, they are relatively energy efficient and energy secure. Now, some would say, well, East Asia doesn't really have that much energy security, big importers as well. Correct. But the change here, the difference here is actually they opted for long-term LNG contracts to satisfy most domestic demand. And also, unlike Europe, Korea and Japan have started to revert back to nuclear. And they've been new investments into nuclear as well to create that baseline required for energy security so europe on the other hand again we've seen what the the german policymakers have done uh, with the shutdown of, of german nuclear fleets one of the safest one of the most efficient fleets in europe if not the most actually and then what happened next they imported straight from the french nuclear grid so again is that is that irony i'll leave it to the listeners uh, to decide for themselves and also the fact that Europe doesn't want long-term LNG contracts because you crystallize basically the amount of flows you have in the grid. So having that independence for gas is much needed. So long-term contracts just for listeners, you're talking 10, 15, 20 years. Europe generally relies heavily on spot, even though now I have to agree there's some change in appetite. So I've seen what, what I like what I call midterm contracts now gaining interest in Europe. So midterm is anywhere between five to seven years, which is still uh, relatively okay in, 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 in what we need right now. And in regards to the volatility, correct. I think the, the incidents of last week just showcases this. And if you were to ask me what, what, what we can continue to expect, 
I'll probably say that 10-15% price changes will be considered normal. I would actually consider that range-bound markets right now. Anything over 20 is where I generally consider uh, the markets actually moving in another direction. So any, anything under 20, unfortunately for us, is relatively common because of the structural issues and because of the various other issues I mentioned as well on this episode. Right. And, you know, on the subject of addressing that volatility whilst decarbonizing, I should say I'm a long-term optimist about this. I think I think we'll find solutions in the long run, but it might be a rather bumpy road getting there. You know, lead times for new nuclear, even for the countries that are prepared to consider it, are, are very considerable, uh, although that would help enormously. And although there are potential solutions down the line, you know, green hydrogen produced from surplus renewables, which has to be stored but then can be burnt uh, cleanly in, in backup power stations and so on, to cover long duration storage during wind outages and so that sort of thing you know uh, those are going to take an awful long time to develop aren't they in europe but and on and will be required on a massive scale but so in the meantime we're, we're stuck with where we're starting from and to sort of conclude you know with that in mind what what are the trends for the next quarter q3 of the current year would you say yeah, indeed, indeed, Jeremy. And I, I'm glad you mentioned uh, you're a long-term optimist because I'm, I sit firmly on that side as well. I think Europe, with the experience we've gained, with the, with the market direction that we've experienced, long-term, we're looking quite good. The amount of investments going into renewables will have an impact as well. The question is when, and that's why I revert to become a short-term realist, unfortunately, uh, with this. And for me, the trends that we that, that could happen in Q3 include usual suspects, the French nuclear output, number one, alongside hydro stocks in Europe. Again, heat waves, potential heat waves. Again, we're really coming into what I like to call the high summers because, again, the, 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 the chances of warmer weather is kicking in and for longer as well could, could really realistically happen uh, during Q3, particularly now with the, with the weather patterns we're seeing. So that could, again, add stress. River levels in Germany are now concerning as well. So that's, that might impact coal transport as well for coal-fired power plants. And as well for, for other trends, point two, I will also make the macro uh, environment we're in. So potential recession. I know we've been talking about recessions for, for months now. And it's not just us. Every single sort of financial institution out there is trying to second guess this as well. So far, are we seeing this? Depends who you ask. Again, inflation-wise, hyperinflation-wise. There could be some arguments for this, but officially, it's still not there. So we might have to continue to sort of see this. But again, the truth is, a lot of pessimism is still available in the market. And that could translate into lower demand as well when it comes to lower consumption, lower orders, etc., etc. Something we need to sort of focus on a bit more. And last but not least are the other regions versus Europe. So first things first, orders from Asia have picked up from July onwards. Uh, this is down to a recent drop in gas pricing. So in Asia, Asian buyers are famous for basically gauging the, the fuel switch economy. Basically, if uh, fuels are cheaper, they revert to fuels, i.e. diesel, petroleum products, etc., etc. But when gas comes down to a certain extent, uh, they will revert back to gas, and that's what they're doing right now. So you start to see increased buying orders, increased demand from East Asian buyers, and that could, again, draw much-needed cargoes away from Europe. Now, European storage is at such a healthy level, it's not doing us any favors because, again, you see a general lack of appetite to purchase more or purchase fast. So that could, again, drive up premiums uh, over the Q3 periods because we also have to understand East Asia has the same weather patterns as us. I'm referring to the same summer season, same winter season. So Q3 is where they start to prepare for their own storages as well. So that's, again, might could come in 
uh, as a competition-led price, let's say, increase as well. And last but not least, one thing we haven't really spoken too much, but I think I should just bring back just very, very briefly, Russian gas. Now, correct, we mentioned in previous episodes that Russian gas now is sort of a bit part player. Please do get reminded that Russian LNG is still a big player on the LNG side. But overall, I want to focus something else. And this is something that uh, the German uh, economic minister mentioned not too long ago, Mr. Abek, uh, basically saying that if Russian gas were to be completely removed, it couldn't have a significant side effect and cascading effect on German industry. Now, because Germany is the industrial heartland of Europe and the industrial power of Europe, that side effect could again lead to weaker demand, etc., etc. as well. So this could have a, let's say, domino effect in the surrounding region as well that we, we're not really foreseeing so far. So just to highlight that, yes, anything happening to those sources could again wound up uh, changing European dynamics once more. Thanks, Henry, on that admittedly slightly, well, not quite pessimistic, but a realistic, I think, note. Let's hope we're not in the situation of balancing the European energy system by shutting down European industry, which is what we had to temporarily do, uh, at least to an extent, um, a, a while ago. Uh, thank you for taking us through all that, in particular, the international side of things and the importance of the Asian markets. And perhaps you can give us some uh, uh, first-hand knowledge about that in, in the weeks and months ahead. If you found that interesting too, do listen out for our next podcast. Have a look at our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK for our reports there. And we look forward to you joining us again soon.